Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. Always a delight to see you come through the door once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today I see that look in your eye. You're looking for something very special, and I think I may have the precognition to know exactly what you're looking for. Let me pull this off the shelf. It is a copy of Tobin's Spirit Guide. This is a quite old copy of this book. If you if you flip through the pages, you'll notice they're quite worn, dog-eared, and highlighted. This book, this Tobin's Spirit Guide, has seen some use, maybe even by a paranormal group from the 1980s based in the New York City area who once used this exact same book to help in their dealings with the supernatural. You, you may remember them. They went by the name of Ghostbusters. And that is the subject of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at Ghostbusters Afterlife. For those of us who were alive at the time and remember this movie all too well, 1984, Ghostbusters hit the theaters starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson, Rick Moranis, Annie Potts, Sigourney Weaver, the list uh, of iconic names and acting was a mile long, and this movie delivered on so many fronts. Of course, you with with actors like Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, you knew it was going to be funny. With actors like Ernie Hudson, Sigourney Weaver, you knew it was going to have some some weight to it, some gravitas to it. Uh, also, you know Rick Moranis and Annie Potts with their contributions to comedy. This was just such a, a great cast and it was the perfect movie to combine elements of horror elements of the supernatural elements of comedy and mix it all together in just what turned out to be the perfect if you want to call it comedic horror maybe that's a comedic supernatural thriller i don't know it's so hard to pigeonhole this it's not a straight-up comedy it's not a straight-up horror movie it's not a straight-up you know supernatural science fiction movie it just has so many facets to it and that really is kind of hard to pigeonhole that and of course you have to you know chalk that up to the acting you have to chalk that up to the writing, you have to chalk that up to the directing. And of course, Ivan Reitman, the late Ivan Reitman, the famous director of Ghostbusters. Uh, Aykroyd and Ramis wrote this. So many things came together for this movie. And I wouldn't, by any stretch of the imagination, call this a perfect movie. But it's it's just got so many uh, great things going for it that uh, if it's not a perfect movie, it's pretty darn close. Ghostbusters 1 was uh, the blueprint. Ghostbusters 2 felt like, uh, I know a lot of people called it a cash grab. 
it didn't have the same feel as the first one, but you brought back all the main players and it was still a really good movie. Then we came to 2016. Of course, at that point, Ivan Reitman had passed away. Harold Ramis had passed away. Uh, I believe it was Sony decided they wanted to reboot the franchise. And they came out with the rebooted Ghostbusters, starring Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, Leslie Jones, Kate McKinnon. A a great cast of funny ladies. And they did an all-female Ghostbusters. And in the Annie Potts, uh, Janine kind of character role, they had Chris Hemsworth, uh, a a fun actor. The problem with this movie, and I know uh, especially Leslie Jones has been outspoken about this, it it just wasn't a well-written movie. It was no fault of the actresses because they did a fine job, I think. Melissa McCarthy, I'm not a huge fan of hers. My brother loves her, uh, but she can be, she's one of those actors that is either really funny or really annoying. And a lot of times I find her very annoying. But it, like I said, it was no fault of the, the actors involved with this. I, I was just not invested in this movie at all. And like I said, Melissa McCarthy was a little bit annoying in this, but (laughs) the movie didn't do well. And it is, I don't want to say universally panned by fans, but fans of the original Ghostbusters, even though they brought back. And I I think that was the problem is that you have a Ghostbusters that doesn't recognize, doesn't acknowledge the first two films. This is a, a, a... straight up reboot of the franchise the first two movies didn't exist you had the original ghostbusters at least those still alive Aykroyd, murray hudson they come back playing characters that have nothing to do with their original characters and it just kind of felt like a slap in the face to the fans who have been wanting you know there was talk of a ghostbusters 3 like around 2010 somewhere around there and things fell through with uh, you know ivan reitman harold ramus passing away and bill murray was kind of sketchy as to whether he would be on board or not and it just never came to fruition then we got the 2016 ghostbusters and fans they wanted what they remember ghostbusters to be then 2021 comes around. You've got Ivan Reitman's son, Jason Reitman. He and the writing team, himself and Gil Keenan, come up with this script that really, from what I understand, from what I've heard of interviews, things like that, that's really what brought uh, the original guys, uh, Aykroyd, Murray, Hudson, back into this franchise and it was on the strength of the story that jason reitman put together and wanted to tell now i'm going to try not to be too spoilery but there are some things that may seem spoilery but it's nothing that wasn't really in the trailers that last trailer you hear bill murray telling somebody that hey did you miss us you knew that the three original Ghostbusters uh, that are still alive uh, were going to be back in this. So that's not a spoiler. Uh, I'm going to try not to... I'm not going to do... There again, like I've said this before, I'm trying to find the right balance. This is a fairly new podcast. I don't want to tell the movie beat by beat 
scene by scene. I, I don't want to get into that because that, uh, I'm sure as a listener, can be a little heavy to sit there and listen to me retell the story. Like my best friend used to tell me about movies when I was a kid. I enjoyed that as a kid, but uh, I, I know you don't want to sit here and listen to me to tell you everything that happened in the movie. But I do want to talk about some of the things that did happen. So this may be a little bit spoilery. I'm going to try not to talk about too much of the movie, the plot, uh, the scenes, what actually happens in it. I want you to watch it. Uh, but we are going to go over the characters, some of the basic plots, some of the big things that happen there again. Like I said, uh, the way they cut trailers anymore, there are really no big surprises. <laughs> all the big events, all the big plot points are usually given away in the trailers. And uh, unfortunately, and that's sadly so, because it, you know I knew everything that was coming in this movie, or I had a pretty good idea everything that was coming in this movie, because you know, the trailers give so much away these days. And I wish they wouldn't do that. There's a new movie coming out, Nightmare Alley by Guillermo del Toro. And they keep talking about something in this, some creature, some man beast in this movie, but you haven't seen it in the trailers. And I think that's a brilliant thing because it makes me want to know what are they talking about? So I can't wait to see that movie and talk about it, but that's neither here nor there. Like I said, uh, trailers ruin everything these days. And I respect when a filmmaker makes the studio not give away all of the big surprises in the trailers. Uh, and unfortunately, they did that with this Ghostbusters Afterlife. It gave away a lot of big things that are going to happen in the trailer. Beginning of the movie, we find that Egon Spengler has relocated to Somerville, Oklahoma. And there's this big almost chase scene, like he's being chased by this ghost. We find out that really this movie... Uh, takes us back to what made the the first one so great with Evo Shandor goes with the Gozarian and Evo Shandor trying to call forth this uh, ancient god to rule the earth. But uh, this town is a town that Evo Shandor has essentially created. He he's bought it. You know his name is on everything. When he was alive, he started a mining corporation to to mine this uh, mineral or element that he used to make the steel girders to create the the high-rise building from Ghostbusters 1 that was supposed to be specially made to channel the supernatural energy to, to call forth uh, Gozer the Gozerian. Uh, this is the town where he was mining that. And we find that this mine is integral in bringing back Gozer the Gozerian. Uh, his efforts failed in 1984. Apparently, this may have been a contingency plan. But we see that Egon Spengler has made residence in this town and that he's doing something. He's he's keeping up the fight, uh, the good fight to fight, uh, fight goats. And we don't really know at the beginning what's going on. There's quite a mystery set up as to why he's there, what he's doing. Uh, we don't know at the beginning that it is goes or the goes area, and that's something we find out later. But Egon meets his untimely demise. Y you knew they had to do that. I was actually surprised they even tried to do Egon Spengler. And, and they did it right because the character, uh, the body double that they used for Egon was always backlit. You never saw his face. You just saw the outline. You saw little bits of his glasses, uh, the you know his hairdo that was kind of iconic 
Yeah, the, not quite a pompadour, but just, uh, you know, poofy hair. You, you get glimpses of that silhouette. You know it's Egon because we know that character. We've known that character for so long with the original Ghostbusters. But he meets his untimely demise. And like I said, you knew that had to happen because, you know, the actor Harold Ramis is no longer with us. So Egon Spengler meets his untimely demise. We find that his family, his daughter... Uh, Callie, played by Carrie Coon. His grandkids, Phoebe and Trevor, played by uh, McKenna Grace and Finn Wolfhard. They've fallen on hard times. Callie Spangler is very disenfranchised with her father because he just up and left town, left her to go move off and do whatever he does. Uh, really an absentee father kind of situation. The father of the kids, her kids, uh, Phoebe and Trevor, uh, he's not in the picture. They tinker with the notion that she's probably an alcoholic and is dealing with that. She's not doing well financially. She gets evicted, finds out her father died. She doesn't care because he hasn't been in her life in so long. So they move to this this old farmhouse that Egon used to own to start a new life, see what he left. And all they find out is that he left a mountain of debt because the Annie Potts character, Janine, uh, she's kind of been... Not Egon's caretaker, but she's been kind of helping him out, taking care of his finances and, and things like of that nature. Uh, we see Janine, played by Annie Potts, briefly at the beginning, and then uh, she disappears, and the Spengler family are, are set in this house, uh, sifting through the wreckage of Egon Spengler's misspent life. Or at least they think it's been misspent. And, and there's some funny little uh, nods because we see Phoebe finds a PKE meter. Um, she finds a ghost trap. Uh, we see a stack of books that are reminiscent of the one of the first scenes in the original Ghostbusters where they're at the library and there's a, a tall stack of books and Bill Murray says, uh, no human being stacks books like this. Of course, Egon apparently stacks books like that. And the Phoebe character is introduced. She's very much like Egon. She has the glasses like him. She's into to science and uh, mechanical things like that. And once she finds that PKE meter, she really starts to, to invent investigate the place and she finds this shed which has a a, a fire pole uh, where she slides down into this little workshop area where we find one of the proton packs where she finds uh, Egon's uh, molds and spores collection. He, he, that's kind of a callback to the original Ghostbusters where he's talking to Janine about his molds and spores collection. And then the ghost of Egon essentially starts uh, making himself known to Phoebe. Uh, guiding her towards different things, guides her toward fixing the proton pack, and a lot of there's a lot of heart in this. This whole idea that she doesn't know her grandfather, she's never known her grandfather, Phoebe. She feels like an outcast. She's she's kind of the nerdy kid, and she feels alone. They even make jokes when you know they're going to school that tell her not to, don't be herself because uh, she's she's awkward. She's got these jokes, these sciency jokes that she tries to tell, and they just come off as as very awkward. So this Phoebe character, 
uh, well played, I got to say, by McKenna Grace. She's a, a fine young actress. I, she's played like the younger version of other characters in so many things. Uh, she played a young version of Emma Swan in the Once Upon a Time TV series. She played a young Carol Danvers in Captain Marvel. She played, uh, most, most recently, a young Madison Lake in the Malignant movie. She's done a fine job in all those. And she's done, you know, several other things as well. But uh, a fine young actor. A little older. I mean, she's she's got to be like 14, 15 years old. Uh, yeah, probably about 15 years old. And she's playing much younger in this. Uh, I don't know how old she's supposed to be in this. Maybe 10, 11 somewhere around there. Uh, she pulls it off. Uh, I, I never would have guessed it uh, until my wife was was looking through her filmography. And she's like, wow, she's she's a lot older than she looked in there. And, and she did a, a fantastic job. And she really did a great job of playing the, the awkwardness of that nerdy kid. Not very good in social situations because they just feel so much different than everyone else. She's so smart and she's so into things that most kids aren't. You can tell how alone she feels. And when she kind of meets a kindred spirit in the ghost of her grandfather, even though she can't see him, even though she's nudged, you kind of get that feeling like she's finally found a friend. And there's a lot of... A lot of pathos in that and there's a lot of empathy in that and there's a lot of sweetness in that that you know this grandfather that he spent so much time fighting ghosts and chasing ghosts that he never got to spend time with his grandkid and now is his chance and you know he's crossing crossing the plane crossing the barrier the veil whatever you want to call it to to make contact with his granddaughter and guide her and be that friend that she doesn't have i, I don't know maybe i'm reading a little too much into that but one mckenna grace does an excellent job as as phoebe and phoebe does actually make a friend logan kim plays this kid called podcast we don't know his real name i don't think they ever say his real name not even his first name but he goes by podcast or as he says he calls himself podcast because he's a podcaster and uh, this kid his comedic timing for the age he is is just phenomenal he gave off some one-liners and just little looks and lines that the kid's hilarious. And the writing for this kid is hilarious. Uh, there is one scene talking about how you can be whatever you want, like a, like a DJ or a podcaster. And my wife and I were just sitting there teeing so much because I, I mean, I guess you could call me a podcaster. I've been doing a podcast now for a few months, uh, but I also have been in radio as a, a DJ for pushing 30 years. And it just, it struck me as funny as that that is his idea of, of really making it and being anything you want as a podcaster or a DJ. And I just, uh, that made me laugh on a, on a personal self-realization level, but, but Logan Kim really brought a lot of humor to this movie and a cute kid and kind of had that wide-eyed innocence that the Ray character played by Dan Aykroyd brought in the uh, original movie. 
if if you're gonna draw comparisons to the the new cast, the new Ghostbusters, if you will, and the old Ghostbusters, he would be kind of that that Ray wide-eyed innocence, thinking of the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man because he's so cute and sweet. That's that's this Logan Kim podcast character, and he really gets phoebe's humor he gets her her lame science jokes and he's he's always walking around with recording equipment why he's using a shotgun mic for a podcast i don't know but he probably is whatever he could get his hands on but at any rate uh that was a fun character and and well played throughout this whole movie uh, finn wolfhard plays trevor spengler uh he's callie's oldest child and a grandson to egon and he kind of plays the he's he plays the typical teenager. A couple reviews where they were kind of given given Finn grief because he plays this you know uh, typical teenager looking for girls. Kind of has a look on his face like I just heard described. Uh, oh, I got to clean my room now. Look on his face. Uh, funny, but I, I I thought he did a fine job. The character really didn't have much to do because this really was a movie that was focused on the Phoebe character and trevor he's got the designs on a local girl lucky domingo played by celeste o'connor she kind of gets pulled into the group after some (laughs) some playful hazing of the trevor character uh they end up working together at this diner and uh she she puts she puts the trevor character through the ringer but then they finally just they finally start to get closer, and she kind of comes in to uh, be a part of this group of uh, what I'm essentially guessing is the new Ghostbusters, the next generation of Ghostbusters, of Phoebe, Trevor, Podcast, and and Lucky. While those two have uh, a good deal of screen time together, uh, we don't get much out of those two. Uh, We don't learn much about those two. Their characters aren't really uh, developed. I mean, like I said, this is really focused on the Phoebe character as a result because he's always hanging around her, the podcast character. We get to to learn more about Phoebe with podcasts kind of being along for the ride. But Trevor and Lucky, I, I think those are two characters that I think maybe... Uh, when we see more Ghostbusters, because you know there's going to be more Ghostbusters after this. Uh, there has to be. Uh, maybe we'll see their characters fleshed out a little more, their relationships fleshed out a little more. Lucky has a father who's the sheriff in the town, played by Bokeem Woodbine. And that was another what little screen time he had. He seemed like an interesting character. Uh, seemed like a character I'd like to to see a little more from, uh, see a little more of his relationship with Lucky, but there really wasn't a lot of of time for that because you know you have to focus on the main story and these main characters, and I don't know whether these other characters will get more screen time, more fleshing out as the series progresses, as the uh, the movie franchise uh, expands. But but we'll see. Like I said, he he was an interesting character and a character I, I would have liked to have seen more of on the screen and and see more of him and Lucky's uh, relationship kind of play out on the uh on the screen but last of the the main cast i really this guy could i i I don't care what movie you put him in i'm going to enjoy him uh mr paul rudd plays uh, gary gruberson he is a high school science teacher who's 
got uh, these summer school duties. And really, the only reason he does it is because he can do whatever he wants. Uh, and he has a uh, habit of just throwing on old 80s horror movies uh, like Cujo and Child's Play and letting the kids watch while he goes and looks at uh, seismology reports. Uh, because there's a lot of uh, seismic activity in Oklahoma, which, you know, they're not on a fault line, not on a tectonic plate, and there's no reason for it. And they go into the science nerdery of it all, but uh, he gets kind of caught up with the Phoebe character. He gets caught up and kind of starts a burgeoning relationship with the Callie Spengler character, uh, played by Carrie Coon. And I would say Paul Rudd steals every scene that he's in. Because that's the kind of guy he is. He just is a natural scene stealer. Uh, the only time he doesn't steal a scene is when he's in the scene with Logan Kim. Because that kid stole every scene he was in. Uh, those two were just hilarious. By themselves, together, uh, it just really made for some some fun comedy that was a great i don't know no i wouldn't say it was an homage to to the original but that's one of the things that was great about the ghostbusters because you had such fantastic comedic actors like bill murray and dan Aykroyd. harold ramus was a, a funny guy in a very dry deadpan sense of humor way ernie hudson kind of played more of the straight man of the the ghostbusters but really the the humor that Paul Rudd and Logan Kim brought to this movie was very akin to, and it felt very natural given the humor that the original Ghostbusters brought to the original movie, which made it, uh, made it so much fun. But this movie really is about building up this next generation of Ghostbusters. We see McKenna Grace's Phoebe Spangler finding all this old Ghostbusters equipment uh, her and podcast learning about Gozer the Gozerian, Finn Wolfhard's Trevor Spengler, uh, finding about the mine and what's going on there. And then they as a group go there to, to check it out and, and find that this is essentially an old temple to Gozer the Gozerian. And what happened in New York wasn't the last we'd see of Gozer because Gozer is trying to be reborn here in Somerville, Oklahoma. And Egon has spent his time here fighting that, uh, putting up traps, trying to capture Gozer. And that's why he didn't have a relationship with his daughter, didn't have a relationship with his grandkids. I, I think that's the tragedy uh, of it all, is that you've got this man who feels on this mission, uh, not to quote another Dan Aykroyd movie, but a mission from God to keep the wolves at bay, uh, not just for this town, not just for the United States, but for the world. This, you know, this ancient God wants to come back and bring hell on earth. Uh, Revelation 612 is referenced a lot. It's funny how in the original movie, uh, Dan Aykroyd references revelations, but he, he misquotes it. It's revela He says Revelation 712, it's actually 612, uh, talking about the earthquakes and all of that. But the Egon Spengler character has spent his, uh, what was his remaining days, creating this vast trap to, to keep Gozer at bay. And we get a scene in a Walmart, the emptiest Walmart I've ever seen. I could go to the Walmart here where I live any time of the night. And it's, there's always a ton of people there. Usually the later it is, the more 
bizarre uh, Walmartians that you see. But <laughs> but Paul Rudd goes to this Walmart uh, to get some snacks, and he comes across two old friends from the original movie. One, he's going past a bag of Stay Puft marshmallows, <laughs> and we see this little Stay Puft marshmallow man pop through. And he's about the cutest thing since Baby Groot that I've ever seen. Until all his friends come out, and then they turn into something more like gremlins, uh, causing all sorts of mischief, biting Paul Rudd's finger, uh, roasting each other, making themselves s'mores. There's no real reason why these little Stay Puff Marshmallow Men, uh, the Mini Men, Mini Stay Puffs, whatever you want to call them, uh, there's no real reason for them to be there, but uh, just to, to make a call back to the original, uh, I, I didn't. That, that didn't bother me. I know some reviewers, some critics, or whatever were bothered by that. That there was no reason for them to be there. Uh, Jesus, this is about uh, people catching ghosts with proton packs and and that sort of stuff. If the science behind why these many marshmallow men showed up bothers you, then this probably wasn't the movie for you. But not only to see them, uh, we get a, another old friend, the dog-like creature, Vince Clortho, also known as the Keymaster, <laughs> shows up and chases Paul Rudd down, uh, much like he did Rick Moranis back in 1984, and uh, possesses him. Then we see the fail-safes that Egon put in place uh, come crashing down, which releases Zool, the gatekeeper, who ends up possessing, ironically enough, Callie Spengler. And, uh, and they, for lack of a better term, make sweet tenderness. Much like Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver did. You can't have a key master and a gatekeeper with that sort of sexual innuendo and not have some tenderness going on. But this is a PG-13 film, so we don't see any of that nonsense. But they do the nasty. And, and they make reference to that later in the movie. It's, it's actually uh, played for some uh, a bit of fun, thanks to the uh, comedic efforts of uh, one Mr. Paul Rudd. Now, one of the things I thought was really cool is that they could have easily used a lot of CG for the Zool and Vince Clortho dog creatures, but they used uh, a lot of practical effects on that, a lot of creature effects, which I thought was nice because in this day and age, they want to CG the crap out of everything. But for them to, and, and Jason Reitman, to have the wherewithal, to, to do it old school, to, to make a creature, to make some puppeteering and, and bring that, that just adds a little, a little bit of weight, a little bit of reality, a little weight to the reality of, of this movie that I thought was, was quite cool that they, they took the extra time to, to do some practical effects with this. And then with the Gozer uh, character, I was really hyped to see that they did a, a little bit of a redesign. Uh, in the 1984 Ghostbusters, when they're on the top of that building and Gozer shows up, it just looks like some flat-top, arrhythmics, cover band, wannabe lady in a spandex sparkly suit. It just didn't feel like this is an ancient Sumerian god that is going to, to destroy the world. This feels like uh, one of the solid gold dancers. Kids, you may want to look that up. You might not get the reference. But, but they did a redesign on this character. They put some spiky nodules 
on it all over the shoulders. They kind of had some lighting effects, some CG lighting on the inner workings of the body. It just was a very cool redesign of the character. It felt more menacing. She felt like more of a creature in this movie than the 1984, where, like I said, it just felt like some chick in a spandex glitter suit. Uh, like she's ready to go out on the town, go to some of the clubs, maybe do a little disco dancing, and then call it an evening around 3 a.m. But this was a really cool creature design for Gozer and really made this movie like feel like it took the original and, and made it better. And that's really, I, I think, a lot of what this movie was. It was an homage to the original. It was a lot of fan service, but not in the Force Awakens kind of way. The Force Awakens, and my wife and I talked about this after the movie, Force Awakens felt like they took the same premise and just repackaged it, renamed the characters, and did essentially the same story as Star Wars A New Hope. It didn't feel like that here. It felt like they took a lot of the same things, a lot of the same characters, a lot of the same issues and problems of the original one. Uh, goes to the Gazarian, Vins Clortho, and Zul. But they were continuing the story. This wasn't a rehash of those characters. This was this god trying to find another way into our world. And this is another opportunity this god has that these kids have to fight and, and keep Gozer from, from coming into our world. It paid homage to the original without copying the original and trying to to repackage it as something else so so i didn't mind that i didn't mind that it was the same villain things happened similar the you know uh the key master and the gatekeeper still had to get together to bring forth gozer I, but i didn't mind that because that is how it happens that's the quote-unquote supernatural science of it all and the fact that they did that unapologetically made me respect it because like i said they weren't trying to hoodwink us they weren't trying to pull the wool over our eyes and give us the same story just packaged in a different way they said you know we're gonna continue this this is essentially a sequel to the Gozer story to the evo shandor story who uh makes a, a bit of an appearance uh, with the uh, the acting efforts of J.K. Simmons, albeit a brief reappearance, but but I won't uh, get too much into that because uh, you really do need to see the movie. But I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the ending to this, and this is going to be a, a little spoilery, uh, quite spoilery, but I, I can't not talk about this because it was done so well. But you've got the kids fighting Gozer. You had earlier in the film, Phoebe makes a call. She's watched the, the old Ghostbusters ad on YouTube. It's now a piece of archival footage. Uh, she calls that number, gets Ray stands. He, he runs some sort of uh, bookshop uh, for the occult. And she tells him what's going on there. And he really doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Ghostbusters are dead and gone. But obviously something hit home when she said Egon was dead. Just before that, he said Egon could go to hell. There was some bad blood there, uh, Egon leaving them as the Ghostbusters were kind of fizzling out. But something she said hits home. And as these kids are fighting the Gozer character, and it looks like all is lost, we get the reappearance 
of Ray Stans, Peter Venkman, Winston Zedmore, and they're in their old Ghostbusters costumes. And and we get that line from the from the last trailer where uh, Bill Murray as Peter Venkman says to Gozer. Uh, so about did you miss us they join the fight there again it looks like all is lost until phoebe picks up the proton pack and blasts gozer and she's a little shaky and what do we see but this ghostly figure this hand coming out steadying the proton uh you know blaster and it's essentially the ghost of egon helping her to to fight Gozer, and then everybody joins in, and then the the day is won, as as you would expect with a movie like this. But just the things that they did with that uh, that image of Harold Ramis as Egon Spangler, uh, usually that sort of CG looks awkward, but because it was a ghostly apparition, uh, it, it really worked and it looked really good. Uh, you had him interact with the family. Callie, Trevor, Phoebe, uh, making peace with them. Uh, there is a scene with the original Ghostbusters, Bankman Stanson and Zed Moore. They make peace. It, it was just a, a sweet scene. And I am not too ashamed to say <laughs> that scene where, where it shows his ghost hand on top of Phoebe's and then you pull back and see him behind her helping her. Uh, I... My eyes got a little welled up at that moment. It was just a, a sweet scene, and they kind of pan up to the sky when it's all said and done, and you see uh, like a star constellation. It looks like Egon's glasses, and, and it says, For Harold, and then the Ghostbusters theme kicks in, and it was just an amazing end to it, to a really good movie that paid a lot of fan service, but also this was a, a setup for movies to come. I've seen some reviewers and I've heard some reviewers kind of, you know, they're, they're not as into the fan service as, as some of us fans are, but I didn't look at this as completely a fan service movie. Of course it was a fan service movie. It had a lot of things that were specifically for fans of the Ghostbusters and fans of the, you know, 1984 movie fans of the, the sequel in 1989 fans of those two movies fans of the ivan reitman stuff fans of dan Aykroyd, bill murray harold ramis ernie hudson annie potts sigourney weaver rick moranis who unfortunately did not make a return in this movie but he's kind of gone off the grid as far as acting kind of semi-retirement so it, it would have been cool if they could have brought him in maybe maybe when they do a sequel who knows but uh, we'll talk about that coming up. But this was a movie that was one part fan service and, and another part of setting up the future because you've got these kids now that are going to be the future of this franchise. You've got the parents, well, at least the parent, Carrie Coon uh, as Callie Spengler and Paul Rudd as Gary Gruberson. This is the future of the franchise. Uh, that doesn't mean that the other guys aren't going to show up either because we had some really cool scenes. Uh, a very cool mid-credit scene that I just absolutely loved. Uh, Sigourney Weaver 
makes her cameo in this mid credit scene. And we've got her, you remember in the, the original Ghostbusters when Bill Murray is doing those psychic ability tests where he holds up the card and it has a star or some wavy lines and he's got this uh, male and female college student and he's essentially lying to say the female gets it right every time and, and when the guy gets it wrong, he zaps him. Sigourney Weaver is doing that to him. She's holding up the card and making Bill Murray guess what it is. And he gets it right every time. And she's like, you marked the cards, didn't you? And she started zapping him. It was a very, very fun scene. Those two have such great chemistry. That was one of the things that was so disappointing after they didn't do a third Ghostbusters after Ghostbusters 2 is because those two had such great chemistry. There's no word as to whether were they an item in this mid-credit scene did they finally tie the knot in this mid-credit scene who knows we we may find out in future ghostbusters installment but it really was a fun scene hearkening back to that uh psychic ability test from the original one and then we get a post-credit scene that really i think sets up the future because they talk about what happened to the Ghostbusters afterwards. Of course, Egon went off to Oklahoma to to try and keep people protected from Zool. And Vince Clortho and goes to the Gozerian. Dan Aykroyd runs a little bookstore for the occult, which we find out that Winston is footing the bill for the rent. Peter Venkman has gone on to teach advertising and marketing at some college. And then the Winston Zedmore character has gone on to be this very successful businessman. He started a, I don't know if they ever said what exactly his business is, but you know, he's, he's obviously very well off. It looks at the end. Of course, when he sees the condition that the Ecto-1 is, when he goes to Oklahoma, he tells the Ecto-1 he's going to take it home and fix him up. And then we see that at the very end, uh, them driving back to, to New York City in the Ecto-1 with the sirens. And then we hear the Ray Parker Jr. Ghostbusters theme kick in. But we see him, he buys the, I'm, I'm assuming he buys the old fire station because Daniel Aykroyd makes a, a joke uh, when Phoebe calls him about some actor buying up the whole Tribeca area where the firehouse is. And it's kind of a subtle nod to Robert De Niro because Robert De Niro uh, created what is his film company, this Tribeca Film Company, uh, started the Tribeca Film Festival, but Kind of a, a subtle nod to, to De Niro in that. But uh, Ernie Hudson's Winston Zedmore buys back the firehouse, apparently. We see the Ecto-1 pull in, and he kind of it shows the scene where he's talking to Janine Melnitz, uh, played by Annie Potts, and talking about his relationship with the other Ghostbusters, as, like he said, paying for Ray's rent. And he's like, oh, he'll turn a profit one day. And he had, does this whole monologue about essentially that, you know, he's he's a businessman and he's been very successful, but at the heart, he's always going to be a Ghostbuster. So that really kind of propels us into the future of the Ghostbusters of what what does this franchise hold? We've got this new group of Ghostbusters, these kids, which I think, you know, I think they're trying to really tap into one, the nostalgia of us who grew up with the Ghostbusters, but also 
build a a new fan base. You get Finn, Finn Wolfhard, who with his uh, work with Stranger Things, with his work with It, you know, he's he's one of the hot young actors right now. McKenna Grace is, you know, she's not as molten hot as Finn Wolfhard, but she's a, a young actress who's very good and is really, I think, going to make a name for herself. Like I said, she's played a lot of uh, younger versions of big characters. I think this is, you know, I think this is probably one of her breakout performances where she's going to be the the main character, not playing younger versions of anybody. She's going to need people playing younger versions of her. I think this was a really big breakout for her. You got Logan Kim, who really, I, I know I've seen him in some other things, but he is a, a fantastic young comedic actor. And you got people like Paul Rudd and and Carrie Coon, Celeste O'Connor. Uh, these characters, I, I think, are, are a great basis to bring the Ghostbusters to a new generation. But then you've still got this rooted in the history and the past of the Ghostbusters. You've still got people like Ernie Hudson and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray being a part of this movie. Are they going to be a part of movies to come? Uh, It looks like at least maybe Ernie Hudson is. Uh, We may see Annie Potts. Uh, it seems like she might be a little more involved in the next one. Is Sigourney Weaver going to be involved in the next one as the Dana Barrett character? If she is, you would think Bill Murray is going to be in this as well. Dan Aykroyd, he always seems like he's up for doing Ghostbusters movies. <laughs> so uh, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what the future holds for this franchise. Yeah, so all in all, I really like this movie. I thought Jason Reitman did a great job with the script. He did a great job with the directing, really captured the heart of what his father did with the original Ghostbusters movie. I know they took great pains to capture the design of the ghost from the original one. A lot of the ghosts in this one really seemed like they would have fit right in with the ghosts from the original one. They paid uh, great attention to that sort of detail to to capture the spirit of the original 1984 Ghostbusters, and I think that was a great accomplishment on their part. But all in all, Jason Reitman wrote a great story. Did they do anything new and groundbreaking and earth shattering in this one? No, but like I said, this wasn't that movie. This was fan service. This was setting up the next generation of Ghostbusters for future films in this franchise and if you go into it with that in mind i know a lot of critics and a lot of reviewers are probably going to poo-poo this because uh you know it's just rehashing the same stuff blah 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 blah. uh this one was more character driven than the original ghostbusters you you got to know this family a little more uh while they didn't uh go in a great deal with the trevor character you got to you got to know this family dynamic between Callie Spangler, Phoebe, and Trevor, and that was something you didn't get, and it really helped you to care about these characters right off the bat. You got kind of this theme where you know Ghostbusters isn't really the kind of movie with great themes and great morals to the story, but there is kind of a an underlying theme about how everybody's fighting their own battle. So before you judge them, maybe you should walk a mile in their shoes, sort of situation. Callie's an alcoholic. They don't really address it in this movie, at least not with any seriousness, but she's got uh alcohol abuse issues and it, it stems back from the the things she's gone through 
but Paul Rudd doesn't judge her by that. And then that's a, I think that's a, a great thing. Uh, will they, they delve into the alcoholism? I don't know. This isn't that type of movie. But Egon is persecuted through this whole movie because he was an absentee father uh, and grandfather, uh, an absentee friend and, and co-worker. But nobody knew that he had something else going on. He was fighting a war of a different kind that nobody could appreciate because nobody knew. And I think that really probably, if, if there was a theme to this movie, I think it really touched on the fact that everybody's fighting their own battles. And before you judge them, you should maybe try to understand what they're going through before you start persecuting them. Which I think is a great theme. That's a, that's a theme we can all take to heart and, and apply to our own lives. But all in all, whether it's the theme, whether it's the acting, whether it's the writing, whether it was the story, I, I think it really hit on a lot of notes. Was it a perfect movie like the original? No. Uh, I think there were things that they could have done a little better. I think they could have fleshed some of the characters out a little more. But if you do that, I mean, this is already about two hours uh, of movie, you would have had to you would have had to go into a longer runtime, and and I don't think you wanted to do that or needed to do that. Uh, and, and like I said, there's going to be more movies in this franchise, so I think there's time to flesh out these characters a little more. I think just for the fact that we didn't really get to see a whole lot of new stuff, I think that was probably a detriment to it in some regards, but I, I understand why they didn't. Like I said, this is all set up for the future of the Ghostbusters, so we'll see in the next one. I think the next one is really going to be the barometer to where this film franchise is going. Because I think in the next one, you don't rely so much on, you know, you can't rely on Gozer. You can't rely on that storyline. I, I think it's done, at least for right now. It's always something you can go back to because Gozer's locked up in the traps. And as we know, uh, things can escape the traps from from the Ghostbusters movies and from the Ghostbusters uh, cartoon. We, we know that's always a possibility. So that's not to say that that storyline is dead. But I would like to see, at least in the next one, they go into some new territory. Do some new things. Do something we haven't seen before in a Ghostbusters film. I think that's going to be the real barometer as to where this film franchise is going in the hands of Jason Reitman. And I have complete confidence. He's going to do great things with this film franchise, like his father did before him. I think he is the right voice for this Ghostbusters film franchise. And I'm excited to see what happens in the future with these characters they've established, with the original characters that hopefully will, will all come back from for more films you know they, they didn't get much screen time in this one only a few minutes but that's all you need i mean the the weight that these guys carry is massive and i talk a lot about gravitas and you want to talk about gravitas being brought to bear in a movie you know these guys the original ghostbusters man they don't need much screen time to really feel the weight of their legacy so uh, i'm excited to see what they do with the new with the old characters uh new stories to come i think the future is bright for ghostbusters and, and this is a, a bright future that we haven't we haven't had in a long time with this film franchise. Like I said, 2016, that was just... Uh, <laughs> nobody wants to rehash that. Uh, and and I think a lot of people were afraid uh, because of the 2016 Ghostbusters film. Again, like I said, no fault of the actors. It just wasn't a good story. And it just wasn't a well-told story. I'm sorry to say that. If you're a big fan of that, 
that's fine. You know, we're allowed to have differing opinions. I just didn't, I didn't buy into it. I didn't like it. Uh, I thought it was the wrong thing to do when rebooting a franchise. Ghostbusters didn't need a hard reboot. They needed something like this. It was a soft reboot. It was a sequel that introduced new characters that are going to push forward into the future. And that's what a franchise like this needed. And they weren't smart enough to do that in the 2016. Uh, Whether it's the studio or whoever made that decision, I don't know. But somebody made the decision uh, to do a hard reboot, and it was a wrong call. Absolute wrong call. And I can't believe that nobody said, this is a bonehead idea. Let's not do it. And much like, uh, you know, I've, I've seen some interviews with Dan Aykroyd, uh, Bill Murray, and Ernie Hudson, where they said, you know, the, the reason they came back to this was Jason Reitman, you know, the, out of respect to what his father did before him. And even more so the the powerful story that he wanted to tell. They, they, I think they wanted to be a part of that. I don't think it was just a cash grab for them because, you know, these guys aren't hurting for work. These guys aren't hurting for money. So I, I think they really wanted to be a part of this, at least in some small way. And that speaks a lot to what Jason Reitman did. So excellent movie. I encourage everyone to go check it out. Like I said, I try not to be too spoilery, uh, but there are some things that the trailer already spoiled. So regardless, hopefully you get to watch it. And and one other thing I did want to mention before we go, uh, when Winston is at the old firehouse, he's brought Ecto-1 back. They go downstairs during his monologue and show the containment unit still there and it's still working. And the red button is blinking. And if I'm not mistaken, that is the signal that there is a ghost in the containment unit. And what ghost is in there? Uh, I'm wondering if Slimer is going to make an appearance. Because uh, Muncher was the big ghost that was given a name uh, of this movie. Kind of Slimer-esque. Uh, there were a lot of kids in the theater, and one kid down the road from me kept wanting to talk to his mom. Uh, I found it annoying if it wasn't so cute because he was dressed up in a little Ghostbusters outfit. So I, I, I let it slide, but uh, but you know he was all about where's Slimer, who's Muncher, and that sort of thing. Cues uh, the Dickens. But uh, but I'm wondering if we're going to see Slimer make a reappearance because outside of Rick Moranis. That's the only original from the Ghostbusters that we haven't seen yet. So so excited to see what's in the future. Check it out. Ghostbusters Afterlife. Don't let the critics, don't let the negative reviewers who think they're critics scare you off. This is a fun movie, and it's a, a good movie. It's a nostalgic movie, and it is a setup for a, a bright future for this franchise. So check it out. Ghostbusters Afterlife. I want to thank everyone for, for listening Coming up on Thursday, we're taking Thursday off because, of course, this Thursday is Thanksgiving. And I just want to say personally, uh, for me, there's a lot of things I'm thankful for. My wife, my life, everything I've got going on. But I'm mostly thankful for for all you listening because I started this podcast back in August and I really, you know, I've tried my hand at some other podcasts and I've got some other side things still in the works with that. But one thing I wanted to do was a podcast I was truly passionate about. And one of the things I'm very passionate about other than music is horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. 
I'm going to start this podcast and see where it goes. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to have this podcast, but I'm also thankful for you taking the time to listen to me every Monday and Thursday or, or whenever you happen to listen. Those are when the podcasts come out, but whenever you happen to listen to it, I, I'm thankful for you to take the time to give a rip about what I have to say about anything. Uh, it's humbling and I am very thankful for it. So check out our Facebook fan page, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, uh, to find out everything that's going on. Uh, we'll have a new episode coming up next Monday, a week from today, which uh, actually we might put it up a, a little bit early uh, because we've got some go things going on the holiday weekend. So uh, it, it may go up Monday, it may go up Friday, uh, but we're going to talk about uh, season two of Lock and Key, one of my favorite new Netflix series. Uh, they've got uh, season two out and we're going to kind of do a recap of that and a uh, very fun series that we'll talk about coming up on uh, on Monday-ish. So uh, you can find out all that detail, all the trailers, all the uh, cool articles that I find throughout the internet about some of my favorite horror, fantasy, and sci-fi things that uh, things that I think that maybe uh, I should share with you. You can find it all on our Facebook fan page, uh, that and a whole lot more. So I want to thank you for listening. Uh, wherever you're listening, Spotify, podcast.com, Apple, Google Podcasts, uh, wherever you're listening, please leave a review. Five stars would be awesome. Uh, but whatever review you leave, I certainly do appreciate it. And uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. And until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!